Scientists rely on tiny variations or polymorphisms in the DNA, specifically in the sequence of base pairs, the building blocks of DNA. Most of these polymorphisms do not occur within genes, the stretches of DNA that encode the information for making proteins, the molecules that constitute much of our bodies and carry out the chemical reactions of life. Accordingly, these common variations aren't neutral in that they do not directly affect a particular trait. Some polymorphisms do occur in genes, however. These can contribute to individual variation in traits and to genetic diseases. As scientists have sequenced the human genome, the full set of nuclear DNA, they have also identified millions of polymorphisms. The distribution of these polymorphisms across populations reflects the history of those populations and the effects of natural selection. To distinguish among groups, the ideal genetic polymorphism would be one that is present in all of the members of one group and absent in the members of all other groups. But the major human groups have separated from one another too recently and have mixed too much for such differences to exist. Polymorphisms that occur at different frequencies around the world can, however, be used to sort people roughly into groups. One useful class of polymorphisms consists of the alice, short pieces of DNA that are similar in sequence to one another. Alice replicate occasionally, and the resulting copy splices itself at random into a new position on the original chromosome or on another chromosome, usually in a location that has no effect on the functioning of nearby genes. Each insertion is a unique event. Once an alu sequence inserts itself, it can remain in place for eons getting passed from one person to his or her descendants. Therefore, if two people have the same alu sequence at the same spot on their genome, they must be descended from a common ancestor who gave them that specific segment of DNA. One of us, Bamshad, working with University of Utah scientists Lynn B. Jorday, Stephen Wooding, and W. Scott Watkins, and with Mark A. Batzer of Louisiana State University, examined 100 different alu polymorphisms in 565 people born in sub-Saharan Africa, Asia, and Europe. First, we determined the presence or absence of the 100 alice in each of the 565 people. Next, we removed all the identifying labels, such as place of origin and ethnic group from the data, and sorted the people into groups using only their genetic information. Our analysis yielded four different groups. When we added the labels back to see whether each individual's group assignment correlated to common predefined labels for race or ethnicity, we saw that two of the groups consisted only of individuals from sub-Saharan Africa, and with one of those made up almost entirely of Mibuti pygmies. The other two groups consisted of only individuals from Europe and East Asia, respectively. We found that we needed 60 alu polymorphisms to assign individuals to their continent of origin with 90% accuracy. To achieve nearly 100% accuracy, however, we needed to use about 100 alus. Other studies have produced comparable results. Noah A. Rosenberg and Jonathan K. Pritchard, geneticists formerly in the laboratory of Marcus W. Feldman at Stanford University, assayed approximately 375 polymorphisms called short tandem repeats in more than 1,000 people from 52 ethnic groups in Africa, Asia, Europe, and the Americas. By looking at the varying frequencies of these polymorphisms, they were able to distinguish five different groups of people 
whose ancestors were typically isolated by oceans, deserts, or mountains, sub-Saharan Africans, Europeans, and Asians west of the Himalayas, East Asians, inhabitants of New Guinea and Melanesia, and Native Americans. They were also able to identify subgroups within each region that usually corresponded with each member's self-reported ethnicity. The results of these studies indicate that genetic analyses can distinguish groups of people according to their geographic region, but caution is warranted. The groups easiest to resolve were those that were widely separated from one another geographically. Such samples maximized the genetic variation among groups. When Bamshad and his co-workers used their 100 alu polymorphisms to try to classify a sample of individuals from southern India into a separate group, the Indians instead had more in common with either Europeans or Asians. In other words, because India has been subject to many genetic influences from Europe and Asia, people on the subcontinent did not group into a unique cluster. We concluded that many hundreds or perhaps thousands of polymorphisms might have to be examined to distinguish between groups whose ancestors have historically interbred with multiple populations. The human race. Given that people can be sorted broadly into groups using genetic data, do common notions of race correspond to underlying genetic differences among populations? In some cases they do, but often they do not. For instance, skin color or facial features, traits influenced by natural selection, are routinely used to divide people into races. But groups with similar physical characteristics as a result of selection can be quite different genetically. Individuals from sub-Saharan Africa and Australian Aborigines might have similar skin pigmentation because of adapting to a strong sun, but genetically they are quite dissimilar. In contrast, two groups that are genetically similar to each other might be exposed to different selective forces. In this case, natural selection can exaggerate some of the differences between groups, making them appear more dissimilar on the surface than they are underneath. Because traits such as skin color have been strongly affected by natural selection, they do not necessarily reflect the population processes that have shaped the distribution of natural polymorphisms such as alus or short tandem repeats. Therefore, traits or polymorphisms affected by natural selection may be poor predictors of group membership and may imply genetic relatedness where in fact little exists. Another example of how difficult it is to categorize people involves populations in the U.S. Most people who can describe themselves as African Americans have relatively recent ancestors from West Africa, and West Africans generally have polymorphism frequencies that can be distinguished from those of Europeans, Asians, and Native Americans. The fraction of gene variations that African Americans share with West Africans, however, is far from uniform because over the centuries, African Americans have mixed extensively with groups originating from elsewhere in Africa and beyond. Over the past several years, Mark B. Shriver of Pennsylvania State University and Rick A. Kittles of Howard University have defined a set of polymorphisms that they have used to estimate the fraction of a person's genes originating from each continental region. They found that the West African contribution to the genes of individual African Americans averages about 80 percent, although it ranges from 20 percent to 100 percent. Mixing of groups is also apparent in many individuals who believe they have only European ancestors. According to Schreifer's analyses, approximately 30% of Americans who consider themselves white have less than 90% European ancestry. 
Thus, self-reported ancestry is not necessarily a good predictor of the genetic composition of a large number of Americans. Accordingly, common notions of race do not always reflect a person's genetic background. Membership has its privileges. Understanding the relation between race and genetic variation has important practical implications. Several of the polymorphisms that differ in frequency from group to group have specific effects on health. The mutations responsible for sickle cell disease and some cases of cystic fibrosis, for instance, result from genetic changes that appear to have risen in frequency because they were protective against diseases prevalent in Africa and Europe, respectively. People who inherit one copy of the sickle cell polymorphism show some resistance to malaria. Those with one copy to the cystic fibrosis trait may be less prone to the dehydration resulting from cholera. The symptoms of these diseases arise only in the unfortunate individuals who inherit two copies of the mutations. Genetic variation also plays a role in individual susceptibility to one of the worst scourges of our age, AIDS. Some people have a small deletion in both their copies of a gene that encodes a particular cell surface receptor called chemokine receptor 5, CCR5. As a result, these individuals fail to produce CCR5 receptors on the surface of their cells. Most strains of HIV-1, the virus that causes AIDS, bind to the CCR5 receptor to gain entry to cells so people who lack CCR5 receptors are resistant to HIV infection. This polymorphism in the CCR5 receptor gene is found almost exclusively to groups from northeastern Europe. Several polymorphisms in CCR5 do not prevent infection but instead influence the rate at which HIV infection leads to AIDS and death. Some of these polymorphisms have similar effects in different populations. Others only alter the speed of disease progression in selected groups. One polymorphism, for example, is associated with delayed disease progression in Eastern Europeans but accelerated disease in African Americans. Researchers can only study such population-specific effects and use that knowledge to direct therapy if they can sort people into groups. In these examples, and others like them, a polymorphism has a relatively large effect in a given disease. If genetic screening were inexpensive and efficient, all individuals could be screened for all such disease-related gene variants, but genetic testing remains costly. Perhaps more significantly, genetic screening raises concerns about privacy and consent. Some people might not want to know about genetic factors that could increase their risk of developing a particular disease. Until these issues are resolved further, self-reported ancestry will continue to be a potentially useful diagnostic tool for physicians. Ancestry may also be relevant for some diseases that are widespread in particular populations. Most common diseases, such as hypertension and diabetes, are the cumulative results of polymorphisms in several genes, each of which has a small influence on its own. Recent research suggests that polymorphisms that have a particular effect in one group may have a different effect in another group. This kind of complexity would make it more difficult to use detected polymorphisms as a guide to therapy. Until further studies are done on the genetic and environmental contributions to complex diseases, Physicians may have to rely on information about an individual's ancestry to know how best to treat some diseases. Race and medicine. But the importance of group membership as it relates to health care has been especially controversial in recent years. 
Last January, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration issued guidelines advocating the collection of race and ethnicity data in all clinical trials. Some investigators contend that the differences between groups are so small and the historical abuses associated with categorizing people by race so extreme that group membership should play little, if any, role in genetic and medical studies. They assert that the FDA should abandon its recommendation and instead ask researchers conducting clinical trials to collect genomic data on each individual. Others suggest that only by using group membership, including common definitions of race based on skin color, can we understand how genetic and environmental diseases among groups contribute to disease. This debate will be settled only by further research on the validity of race as a scientific variable. A set of articles in the March 20th issue of the New England Journal of Medicine debated both sides of the medical implications of race. The authors of one article, Richard S. Cooper of the Loyola Stritch School of Medicine, J. S. Kaufman of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and Rick Ward of the University of Oxford argued that race is not an adequate criterion for physicians to use in choosing a particular drug for a given patient. They pointed out two findings of racial differences that are both now considered questionable. That a combination of certain blood vessel dilating drugs was more effective in treating heart failure in people of African ancestry, and that specific enzyme inhibitors, angiotensin-converting enzyme or ACE inhibitors, ACE inhibitors, have little efficacy in such individuals. In the second article, a group led by Neil Risch of Stanford University countered that racial or ethnic groups can differ from one another genetically and that the differences can have medical importance. They cited a study showing that the rate of complications from type 2 diabetes varies according to race, even after adjusting for such factors as disparities in education and income. The intensity of these arguments reflects both scientific and social factors. Many biomedical studies have not rigorously defined group membership, relying instead on inferred relationships based on racial categories. The dispute over the importance of group membership also illustrates how strongly that perception of race is shaped by different social and political perspectives. In cases where membership in a geographically or culturally defined group has been correlated with health-related genetic traits, knowing something about an individual's group membership could be important for a physician. And to the extent that human groups live in different environments or have different experiences that affect health, group membership could also reflect non-genetic factors that are medically relevant. Regardless of the medical implications of the genetics of race, the research findings are inherently exciting. For hundreds of years, people have wondered where various human groups came from and how those groups are related to one another. They have speculated about why human populations have different physical appearances 